It's Jim Paff, and welcome back to the Against Nice podcast, where we believe that nice people are the cruelest of all people because they're subjective and selfish in the way that they address society. Kind people have the interests of others in mind, but they speak truth into society. Follow us on iTunes, give us a five-star rating, and also uh, give us your review of the podcast. You can also follow us on Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many other podcasting apps. Now let's get to the show. Well, you're going to find this a very interesting interview with Nikki Gozer. She's the executive director of the Crime Research Institute. Uh, It's a, a Second Amendment oriented organization that looks at the statistics of gun violence and really does some of the best work in the country in uh, looking at the effects of guns in society and frankly pointing to the fact that it's actually an ultimate good well nikki's got a heart-wrenching story Uh, i got to know nikki when she worked for me actually in thomas mass congressman thomas massey's office but uh, nikki's husband was killed because she was following the gun laws in the state of Tennessee, which required her to not utilize her concealed carry permit in a drinking establishment, in this case in a bar. And her and her husband did karaoke stuff in various bars, had a lot of fun with that. Well, there was a stalker coming after Nikki, and he killed her husband, Ben. You're going to find out more about it in the podcast, but get ready for this one. You're really going to learn a lot. You're going to get great insights from someone who's gone through a tragedy and how she's dealt with it. So without further ado, I want to welcome Nikki Gozer to the Against Nice podcast. Well, I want to welcome everyone to the Against Nice podcast. Um, This this is one of those fun ones for me because I get to interview. Well, actually, many of the people I interview are really good friends, but uh, Nikki's a very, very good friend of my wife, Myra, and me. Uh, I had the fortunate privilege of being Nikki's boss for a while when I was uh, Thomas Massey's chief of staff, and she was an excellent employee there. I think Thomas liked her better than me, <laughs> but um, but she did a fantastic job. And Nikki, though, right now, she's with the uh, Crime Research Center. She's a graduate of the University of Tennessee in Knoxville, and we're both Vols fans, yay. Um, and, uh, she graduated magna cum laude with a degree in psychology. She, uh, she had got involved in pro gun second amendment activism. Uh, she was always kind of pro gun, but, but she had an amazingly sad incident happen when her husband Ben was killed. We'll talk a little bit about some of that, a guy that had been stalking her, uh, killed him that kind of ended up along the way not because you were pushing it or anything it just kind of ended up you got into that activism but she's been featured on programs like fox business uh she's been on tucker carlson abc news cnn sean hannity she's really been all over the place she was regularly doing nra news uh type stuff many many other things too um and uh, she presently, as I say, is executive director for the Crime Prevention Research Center. This is a fantastic organization. Amazing. If you want to know anything about guns and the statistics around guns, as so many people are trying to uh, <laughs> trying to remove our Second Amendment rights, they use various statistics to try to show that it's absurd for us to be able to have guns. Well, Crime Prevention Research Center. It has amazing trove of research that just radically shows why the Second Amendment is not only our right, but statistically why our right actually makes a positive difference in culture. So after that long introduction, I'm just uh, grateful to have Nikki Gozer on the Against Nice podcast with me. Thanks for coming on, Nikki. Thanks for having me, Jim. You know, um, this whole issue of the second amendment and attacks against it is it's kind of been around in modern history last maybe 50 60 years in varying degrees it's really ramped up in the last 10 20 years in maybe 30 years in a way that um for the first time truly 
uh, puts our Second Amendment rights at a deep risk. I mean, we've never had the kind of risk that we do right now. What are your, um, what do you see right now is happening in this whole arena of uh, political activism against gun ownership in this country? Where do you see us at right now? I think the left is trying to shame those of us who choose to own a gun and, and carry a gun for our, our own self-defense and the defense of our loved ones. I think shame is the tactic, you know. Unfortunately, there are people out there who don't understand um, our right to keep and bear arms. And so many of them have never, never been the victim of a violent crime. You know, it's easy to sit there and say, oh, well, why do you need a gun? If you feel like you need to carry a gun anywhere and everywhere you are, you know, you should just stay at home. Well, you know, that's not realistic. We can't just stay at home. We have to work. So many people have, you know, families, childcare, you know, we've got to get on with life and you've got to be out in the world to get on with life. And uh, unfortunately there are evil people out there in the world. And um, it's really frustrating when I hear people on the left say things like that. Well, you know, you don't have to have a gun. You're, you're paranoid. No, we're not paranoid. We just simply want to be prepared. I mean, if you have life insurance, does that make you paranoid? If you wear your right. seatbelt, does that make you paranoid? Do you have a fire extinguisher in your home? You know, smoke detectors, like, these things don't mean that you're paranoid. These things mean that you just want to be prepared in case something happened. You know, we're, we're in a situation right now, uh, post uh, George Floyd, where that concern is becoming bigger than ever. I, I, I got to tell you, I, right now in most, uh, in almost every major city right now, I, I wouldn't want my wife, Myra, walking around without protection. And not that I think something's about to happen, but there, there, there's always a real risk of something tragic happening that she could otherwise defend herself against. And, and that's just, as with insurance, it's just one of those risks as possible. Right now, being in these inner cities, I think women in particular are at grave risk of being harmed and if they don't even at least have a chance to defend themselves against true violence, uh, there, there's no hope for them. And I, I, I don't, I, I wouldn't know how to send my wife into an inner city, in a major city downtown right now, or in, yeah. really in many areas around it, and and not feel safe unless she had some way to protect herself. Yeah, unfortunately, I think almost all of the major cities in this country are run by Democrats, and we see so many of these riots happening and it's terrifying to a lot of people. This stuff moves its way into the suburbs. Uh, people want to have the ability to protect themselves and their loved ones. And I think the riots have scared a lot of people. Um, a lot of people are buying guns right now. Um, it's incredible. And as far as handgun carry permits, there are, we're going on 20 million people right now in the U.S. that have their handgun carry permits. I think people are starting to, to understand why our Second Amendment is so important. And unfortunately, some people don't understand until something really scares them. You know, I'd like to think that people would appreciate the Second Amendment just because they appreciate the Constitution and they want to be able to protect themselves, period. But some people don't make that mental connection until something really scares them. And I think these riots and the, the calls to defund the police have really scared a lot of people. I mean, take myself, I'm a victim of a violent crime. I'm a stalking victim. Um, this guy's gonna be released from prison one day. If the police are defunded and if the left has their way also, and takes away our gun rights. Well, how in the world am I gonna be able to protect myself? And the police can't even protect me. It's gonna make everyone extremely vulnerable to crime out there, to violence. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. I've been, um, I was just listening on a local radio station today uh, 
there have been people and, and, you know, it probably isn't as serious as it comes across what I'm about to describe, but, you, but no one knows because they, they're not entirely sure who's doing it. There have been people all over the major city, Colorado Springs that I live near who have received letters on their door saying that we've identified you as a Trump voter. And if Trump does not, uh, give give a successful transfer of power or resist a transfer of power uh make sure you have your home insurance taken care of make sure you have your license uh, life insurance protect uh, there because we've identified you and now it could be a prank could be very serious too i, I one one reason i think it could be serious is because i remember in 2008 in california Proposition 8 was on the ballot to define marriage as the union of one man and one woman. All the tech company, many, some tech company people there in that state went out and got the voter records and put a map out that had a pin right where every donor to that Proposition 8 cause lived. These kinds of serious threats are very real as well in the political environment that we're in. We've never quite been in this sort of a political environment. It's really been about 20 years yeah. where you're seeing I, real, real problems like this. I went to go vote with my mother on the first day of early voting and we had to wait in line for an hour and a half before we were actually able to cast our vote. But uh, I guarantee you the majority of those people standing in the line with me were the silent majority. Yeah. And I think that people are going to come out like crazy for early voting. They already are. And then election mm -hmm. day, boy, you better early vote now because election day is going to be crazy. Yeah. But um, I think a lot of people understand how important this election is. Um, you know, your basic human right of self-defense is right up there. I mean, if you don't have the ability to protect yourself and your loved ones, then it's the one right that protects all of your other rights. Yeah, so. it's so, it's so true. And what, 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 from the crime prevention research perspective, what are some of the big topics beyond what's being discussed in this election mm -hmm. that uh, are, have gained real traction recently uh, in recent years and months that um, th that could really affect a person's Second Amendment rights? The Supreme Court, um, Joe Biden, Joe Biden making threats to, you know, pack the Supreme Court. Uh, that's pretty worrisome, you know, and he says, oh, well, you know, they've been asking him, you know, if, if, if that's what he really means, if he would indeed pack the Supreme Court. And he's like, oh, I'll, I'll tell you after the election. Right. You know, that's what he's planning. And um, I think it's very dangerous. But let me tell you something. Women, women are the fastest growing demographic of gun ownership in this country. Yeah. Women in this country that <laughs> we've had enough. We've had enough. We want to be able to protect our, ourselves and, you know, our loved ones. And um, I think women are really stepping up now. And it's you know, it's no longer a man's world. Um, I think right. women are taking responsibility for their own safety. Not that we're against men. I love good men, yeah. you know, yeah. and I want men to still feel like they are our protectors, but they yeah. can't be with us all the time. Police can't be anywhere and everywhere at any time. I think more and more women are starting to realize that a gun is a great equalizer. It puts you on equal footing with whoever would want to do you harm. And let's face it, women in general are just not as strong physically as men. And that mm -hmm. gun is the great equalizer. You know, am I exaggerating? Because I've, I've thought about what you've been saying for some time now. Okay, and, I'm no, and I noticed the same thing. I noticed women talking about uh, protecting themselves uh, by having a, a firearm for some time. I, I can just tell you, in the city that I live in, I can tell you of three women recently who have uh, purchased handguns and got their concealed carry permit because they want to make sure 
that they're protected. But am I exaggerating to say that even though our Second Amendment rights are obviously for all Americans, that in this day and age, I think it's a more critical right for women, at least by some percentage, than it is for men. For the very reason you said, I mean, if we find ourselves in a physical altercation, a man is going to typically be uh, stronger in that situation. Of course, anyone that's actually being threatened by a gun, doesn't matter if you're man or, man or woman, you better be able to respond with e at least equal force. But I think women are the most at risk in this society of violent harm being done to them. It might have been that way forever when you take in issues like rape and so forth, uh, 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 spousal abuse, that type of thing. But it seems that a woman being able to protect herself with a gun is more critical now than it may have been in any time, except maybe some woman on the frontier all alone, her husband's out doing whatever. I mean, I, I, this is one of those biggest times. Am, am I exaggerating to say that in your opinion? No, absolutely not. No. But, you know, it's funny how the left you know they talk about women's rights and, and women should have the right to make decisions about their own bodies well if you truly believe that then the second amendment should be something that you stand up for because mm -hmm. you should believe that a woman has a right to protect her own body mm -hmm. in the way that she wants to and if she wants to carry a gun every day for her own self-defense then you should support it yeah, and the reason for that kind of political hypocrisy, in my opinion, has a whole lot to do with, um, with, with certain politicians that want to have power out of the government uh, for themselves. And to be candid, they don't want to cede that power to an individual woman who would protect herself in, in, in the instance of what you would use a gun for, uh, amongst other things, too, economic power as well. They talk about women's rights and in general related to the feminist movement they don't they don't want women having control and power over their own careers they want to dictate what we all do uh, that that's what that, that that kind of hypocrisy really uh, bothers me and and it's the reason why these leftists who support a, a, a full up to full term abortion rights cannot accept up to my full life, the right for a woman to have a gun and to protect herself. It, it's absolutely absurd to me. And you're, yeah. you're a perfect example in your life, sadly, of what can go wrong when you obey these stupid laws. Um, tell people about, they need to understand a lot of where you're coming from, which you come from the constitutionalist perspective. And again, I know you always did, that, that you always knew the Second Amendment was a fundamental human right. But that really came right to a head for you in your life in a way that no woman should have to be confronted with that. So tell people the story of your situation that kind of catapulted you, sadly, and in my case, I also think gladly because you're a great voice for, for this issue. But what, what happened to you personally that uh, ended up driving you into this fight to protect uh, the Second Amendment? Uh, back in 2009, my husband, Ben, was murdered right in front of me by a man who was stalking me. Um, at that time, Tennessee state law said that you could not carry a permitted firearm into any restaurant if they served alcohol. So I followed the law. I left my legal permitted firearm that I normally carried for self-defense. I left it locked in my vehicle. Of course, the man who was stalking me didn't have a permit to carry. He brought a gun in illegally into a gun-free zone. And when I asked management to remove him because I realized I was being stalked, when they went to confront him to ask him to leave, he pulled a 45 from a shoulder holster under his jacket and he shot Ben in the head. He then stood over Ben and continued to fire six more rounds into him in the middle of the restaurant in front of myself and everyone. And I'll probably wonder for the rest of my life if I could have prevented that, of course, I'll never know because I was denied a chance. I was stalked and defenseless. So I've just tried as best as I can over the past 11 years 
to educate people, especially women, about why it's so important to carry for your own self-defense because evil is out there. And like I said, I don't want people to be paranoid, but I do want you to be prepared. Unfortunately, you just don't know what's going to happen. Evil can find its way into a busy restaurant. That's what I learned. Nowhere is safe, technically, as long as yeah. there's evil in the world. I'm, I'm going to guess the guy was not drunk. I'm going to guess that he went in with a specific purpose in mind to continue and expand in this particular case, the kind of stalking that he was doing for whatever reason. And I don't give a flying flip what was going through his mind, but, but for whatever reason he was doing it. Um, and, and that law had only had only one effect. You didn't have your gun on in your possession and you didn't have a chance to oppose it. And I'm, I'm guessing, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm guessing Ben didn't quite necessarily see it at first. You were trying to handle this in the background. And, um, and you might have been the one that could most uh, have the best recognition of what was going on so you could get to your gun quickly enough to maybe at least reduce the harm done to Ben if not to right. keep it from happening in the first place. But the law that was designed to keep drunk people from carrying guns, and we can see the reason behind that, a mm -hmm. drunk person with certain motives in their heart and a gun, are, they're not in their senses, that can be a problem. Okay, that sounds great. Of course, we don't, we don't make it illegal in the homes, and we couldn't enforce it anyway <laughs> if someone's drunk with a gun. But right. th there's that, and then the public place, which were most shootings, or many, many shootings, I shouldn't say most, you may know the statistics, but many shootings happen in public places as opposed into just a private home. Right, and many so, shootings happen in gun-free zones. And they, I, I think every, almost every, not every, but almost every mass shooting has happened in a gun-free zone in a public place. Am I right about that? You are right about that. And yeah. uh, so, so the law didn't do a dang thing to protect you probably doesn't do a whole lot to protect others that particular law well i think it actually emboldens evil yeah. i think laws like that gun control laws like that actually embolden those with evil intent i mean right. where do you think someone's gonna go to harm some innocent person that they want to harm they'll go where they know they are completely and utterly vulnerable and what better place than a gun-free zone they can't carry there. They can't protect themselves. Right. And, and if we didn't have these restrictions at all, I mean, there are kind of large gun-free zones or major cities that have massive uh, laws against the possession of guns. And that's where all the violence takes place. I mean, look at Chicago, strongest gun laws in the nation, nearly, if not, in, not exactly. And gun violence there is rampant. And it's not rampant in rural areas or smaller cities that don't have these major gun laws. I, I know that in, in culturally throughout my life, you, you, most of these criminals don't know that there are 360 million guns or however many guns we've got somewhere in that range guns that, that are in this country estimated because obviously no one exactly knows. Thankfully we don't register our guns. So that's a good, good thing. But uh, you got that many guns and they wouldn't know that precise statistic, but they would know, in their area when people normally have guns. And that, that is a deterrent, just that knowledge. Doesn't mean it stops all crime, but it is a deterrent having that kind of knowledge. As if, you know, it, it kind of baffles me how the left seems to think that so many of these gun control laws will be um, followed by drug gangs. Yep. I mean, are they gonna go through a background check? Right. No. Are yeah. they going to register guns? No. Are they going to follow a, a, a magazine capacity limit? No. Right. I mean, right. come on. These laws only impact the good law-abiding people. Yep. And, uh, and they, and there are already rational, reasonable ways to deal with gun violence as it is we call it codes of crime you know just 
basic crime when you harm someone that you already have a way to uh, to deal with that when the situation happens and you can provide a deterrent if someone if if one of some other person does a real violent crime with a with some firearm or anything and they have to go to prison for that that in and of itself is also a deterrent we don't right, need but, to restrict gun ownership at all. We need to we need to set the example in right. crime in, in criminal penalties. code when people penalties. do do wrong. Absolutely, penalties matter, and let me tell you, it's pretty disturbing that my husband's murderer only got twenty three years. They the judge unfortunately it was a bench trial, no jury. And the judge dropped it from first degree premeditated murder to second degree. Now, let me tell you, when the police searched his vehicle at the crime scene, they found two more guns, ammunition, a baseball bat, binoculars, gloves, rope, and a knife. Now, you hmm. tell me that's not premeditated. Yeah, exactly. The judge gave him 23 years. But then it gets worse. I find out that um, he's been writing me twisted love letters and stalking me and harassing me from prison. And uh, then I find out that Tennessee Department of Correction has allowed him to earn early release good behavior credits. So he doesn't even have to serve the 23 years. He will, he, I believe it's like 19 and a half years is what he'll actually serve if he gets out early. And um, it should have been life. I mean, penalties matter. and you know, this guy's going to be set free. He's going to be able to get his hands on a gun. He'll get a gun the same way that uh, criminals get illegal drugs in this country. Mm -hmm. It's a joke. Our criminal justice system, you know, I tell people it's just a system um, because there's not much justice to it. Right. That's exactly right. We, as, as friends, you know, obviously we've had discussions from time to time about this issue of the stalking letters and stuff. This, this really does also show, and, and you are right to say it's just a system. I, I don't know that we understand what justice is anymore in this country. I, there are still people that do, but I'm just saying in, in practical terms, in what really plays out uh, when it comes to crime, I think that uh, we, it, it, with some good intentions and some quite, necessary to try to not uh, to deal to deal with the uh, criminals in a way that allows them to get restored into society and i think that that's obviously a laudable goal but in that per headlong pursuit to meet that need we have brought so much more injustice into this i mean tell people a little bit about what you've been going through with that because the, the reality is you don't have any control of this process um, when you're receiving these stalking letters. And, right. and, and thankfully, they were shielded from you for a time. But the guy was still doing it. And when you find out the information, you have no rights in that matter. And you were as much the victim as Ben was in this regard. Yeah. It's been an ongoing nightmare for me. Um, you know, it's soon as I found out about the letters, of course, when I saw them, you're just in complete shock all over again. It's trauma on top of trauma. You know, you have nightmares, you can't focus, you can't concentrate during the day. You're trying to work, you can't work. You know, it just affects everything ab about you. And um, a lot of people don't understand that, but then, you know, spend thousands of dollars on an attorney to try and convince Tennessee Department of Corrections that he should not be getting early released for good behavior. This is not good behavior. And then Tennessee Department of Correction comes back and says, oh, well, we're not going to touch his early release good behavior credits because he's not been charged. Okay. So then the attorney is trying to convince the uh, U.S. District Attorney's Office to actually charge this man. I've got the evidence. I have all the evidence. I've turned it over. And it looks like finally, it's been almost a year since I found out about the letters. It looks like he is, 
he's going to be charged. It's just taking longer than we thought. Um, I guess the prison is on lockdown. They don't allow visitors because of COVID. And I think they had somewhat of an outbreak. They've been having a problem in Tennessee prisons, apparently. So um, we'll see what happens. An investigator has to, I guess, go in there to interview the offender. Um, they have to do their due diligence from what I understand. But um, this is a very evil, dangerous person. And this is not someone who should be rewarded with early release. Um, there's got to be justice in this country. And people have got to start caring more about victims of these horrible crimes. Yeah. Because when this guy's released, I could be a victim again. Yeah. Or someone else, you know, God forbid somebody else out there could wind up being his victim. And, um, you know, I, I realize that all of these offenders out there have loved ones and family members, but I would think that even as a family member of an offender like this, you know, while you might love your family member and, and hate their actions, you know, if you're a good, decent person, you've got to sit there and think, you know, I love you but I don't want you released either because I don't want you to hurt some other innocent person out there. You know, you can separate the two. You can say, I love you. You know, we're my family member, but there's something wrong with you and you're dangerous and you don't belong in society. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he doesn't deserve to have any of the letters <laughs> Uh, exposed anywhere because he'd probably love it to know that he was doing that, that was happening. But basically uh, the, the kinds of things, and I know we, I've seen some of these, but the kinds of things that he is thinking through are as bad or worse than whatever he was thinking when he killed Ben. And, and people need to understand this guy is not reformed, but what that this brings up, something really interesting about our justice system right now because when criminals do undertake violent acts against others yes we put them in prison we take their lives away from them but we don't have a requirement in that process for them to make good on the harm that they did so if someone uh embezzles money from a company well the restitution ought to be some payment, if not complete payment, back of all that was stolen. That makes everybody whole, and it can set things back in order. When it comes to violence and certainly to murder, obviously, there's nothing that can be made up there, but if we're going to have them in prison, they should be responsible to make things up. I, they should actually, even if it's like in his case, he wasn't first-degree premeditated murder. He wasn't convicted on that since he can get out of prison, but he ought to have the risk of staying in prison for life if they did that, if he doesn't make some real progress in something. The guy's made no progress. He's been sitting around in prison based upon what you've shown me. He's been sitting around in prison, the same person he ever was. Mm -hmm. And and then and and to let him out on good behavior when it's so obvious that he's exactly the way that he ever was. This is one of the harms of our criminal justice system that is really hurting people. We don't seek restoration. We only do the ret retribution end of things. Right. And, and that harms people like you in these particular kinds of crimes. Sure. Because I mean, you're, you're, well, you're, well, you're at risk all the time. Well, as far as the financial end of things, um, you know, it's cost thousands of dollars to hire an attorney because of what he's done. Yeah. And not only that, but, you know, people think about, you know, it's, it's traumatic, it's devastating, it's hurtful um, to lose your spouse. It, it's horrible to lose your spouse. But to witness, to be forced to witness someone murdering your spouse right in front of you is absolutely horrific. And I have to live with that for the rest of my life. And, um, you know, there was a wrongful death suit. I won a judgment against him. I don't know how many millions of dollars, but uh, apparently he's indigent and the criminal justice system doesn't make him have to pay on this judgment at all. 
I mean, not one penny have I gotten. And you think about, you know, what all he took from me. He took my future from me. The future that Ben and I had planned together. You know, we wanted to have a family. We were just starting to plan to have children. I'm never going to have children now. I'm 44 years old now. I've not remarried. He completely destroyed my circle of life and my future. And I, you know, yeah, he should have to serve life for that, I believe. But I believe he should also have to pay monetarily for the damage that he's done to my life. I'd love to adopt a child, but I don't have forty or fifty thousand dollars to adopt a child. Right. Yeah, it's and it's incredibly brave of you to put yourself in a position where you have to recount this regularly as a means to help expose the injustices in the system, to warn women about where, and, and all people, frankly, about what the risks are if we were to take away these Second Amendment rights. And uh, I think, I think you're, one of the, you're one of the strongest people I know because you, you put yourself in that position to help others understand what's going on so that maybe it can stop someone else or at least some group of others from having to go through the, the same situation. I, I, I don't know how you bear up under that. And uh, it, it's a challenge. I mean, I, I think in this country, we do not revere life. I talk a lot about that from the perspective of uh, the abortion issue, which I just think is one way we absolutely defame the wonderfulness of life. But we do it in areas like this too, in our criminal justice system, where people like you get dragged through it for so long. Um, if there is a woman listening to this that is or has maybe gone through some similar things, what, what would your advice be to them and what would you say to them to encourage them, but also to warn them? What, what would you, how, how would you describe that? Um, you know, are you talking about stalking victims of stalking? Um, stalking, yeah. Or, or any okay. similar thing to that as well too. Yeah. Sure. Well, I can definitely speak on the whole stalking thing. Um, you know, I think we as young ladies are taught mostly to be cordial and nice and don't be a bitch. Can I say that? I don't know. You, you might have to edit you it. But, no. <laughs> um, and even when strangers say things that make us feel uncomfortable, you know, women are, I think our natural reaction is to try and smooth things over or don't get confrontational or, you know, don't speak up. And that's something that I did. I spoke up and I said, look, you know, what you're saying is inappropriate. I'm happily married. I did everything I should have done. But the one thing that I didn't recognize right away was the stalking. At first I thought, what is he doing here? Like I've already, you know, Ben's already told him to leave me alone. I've already deleted him and blocked him from my social media. I won't have anything to do with him. What's he doing here? You know? Um, and then he showed up like a month later at the karaoke um, place that night. And then I realized he was stalking me, but it took a while. You know, I think women try to think well, maybe they're not stalking me, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe he's just got a little innocent crush or something. And I think women need to really be a bitch. I mean, you, you need to stand up for yourself and you need to recognize the signs of stalking right away. Um, remove yourself from the situation entirely um, and protect yourself because there are crazy guys out there. There's a lot of good men out there, a lot of good men out there, but there are some crazy ones. There are some that are just downright evil 
Um, you know, I think a lot of people try to, I don't know, make excuses for evil behavior. Some people say, oh, well, he's nuts or he's crazy or he's insane. And people forget that there is such a thing as just evil. You know, people want to explain things away with mental illness. And, um, you know, I get tired of hearing that excuse. Sometimes people are just downright evil, just no good, rotten people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, human history, I think, proves <laughs> that that's the case. And we're constantly fighting and struggling with it. Um, so connecting this to what's going on right now, because law enforcement plays a role in, in all of this also. And we're seeing right now a movement, not just to defund police, which is bad enough, mm -hmm. but to reduce police, uh, to, to uh, change the entire paradigm uh, behind which we, um, uh, we approach policing. And there have been some reforms along those lines through, through the years, but these are much more drastic, uh, sure. taking, taking them out of the role of opposing violent behavior of various levels and to, to get them in. I mean, I believe in community policing, for example. I think that's a really good thing. But I, I, we're moving towards a kind of policing that is only, I don't know, psychologically based social worker based as opposed yeah let to me really tell protecting. you can you imagine i can't imagine a social worker walking up into a violent criminal yeah. act now sir don't do that think about what this is going to yeah. do to your future <laughs> you're going to ruin your life if you do this you're uh, going to prison crazy don't do this who do you think the per first person they're going to kill is that social yeah. worker that's annoying the hell out of them. And then they'll carry on with their rampage. This is ridiculous. Yeah. Violent criminals should be met with extreme force. Yep. And, um, as far as, you know, training police, I have no problem with police getting additional training and knowing how to deal with situations that aren't necessarily violence, but right. You know, um, because there are different ways that you can handle things without having to whip out your gun immediately. Right. But you know what? There are situations where you do have to use your gun. And, um, you know, this stuff about, uh, well, this person was unarmed. Okay. Well, a lot of these incidents that I've seen where the person is unarmed, that, you know, they're resisting arrest. Um, some of them are high on drugs and they don't even like, they have like superpowers when they're on drugs, you know, mm -hmm. it's like four cops to take them down. Um, cause they're so jacked up on speed or cocaine or whatever they're doing. Um, and then, you know, so you can see their hands, but once these guys get them down, the cops get them down, they find a knife on them. I mean, I was taught in my firearms training how quickly someone with a knife can can be up on you. It's just a matter of seconds. Mm -hmm. So, you know, yeah. I, I'm all about additional training, but I believe in a strong police force, a strong police presence. Um, obviously, I, I don't want, you know, rights to uh, be infringed on. I don't want um, the militarization of police everywhere. But I think that police do serve a role in public safety. They're, they have a very important role in public yeah. safety. Um, I think that we're in a place right now where knowing that we need some criminal justice reform, not the kinds being discussed, by the radical left, but I mean, we, we were always needing some reforms, like you say, to help protect people's rights, make those uh, constitutional rights more clear. And, and police don't just butt up against state laws. They often do butt up against individual rights uh, in the stuff that they're doing. So just know where the lines are, make it more clear. Um, 
but if we're going to make, if we're going to neuter them and not have that kind of strength to be able to do what police need to do, I think, I think we've got greater harm than we ever had with some of the uh, truly bad things that police have been doing in recent years. I mean, it, there are some bad stuff. Sure. And I'm not negating that at all. I mean, I think you and I can agree that in yeah. every single segment of society, <clears throat> there are bad people. There are bad teachers. There are bad priests. You know, there are bad businessmen. There are bad politicians. There are bad nurses, doctors. In every walk of life, there's going to be someone in some, some segment of society that's just not a good person. You can't blame all doctors because one is bad. You can't blame all teachers because some are bad. Um, just like I can't blame all black people because some do bad things and all white people aren't bad because some do bad things. You know, all police are not bad. Yeah, there are some that have done bad things, but I don't think that the entire law enforcement community should have to pay for the acts of the few um, horrible ones. Yeah. I think that training is important and they should be trained and trained well, but I don't, I don't believe police should be defunded. Yeah, I agree. Well, so, uh, let's go to two other areas before we're done with this podcast. One I want to find out from you is, uh, tell everyone, so you're working for crime prevention research center. You've been personally involved in some legislative changes that have been really important. Uh, you, you mentioned to me and um, uh, something about a restaurant carry bill right. and uh, permanent judgments for wrongful death. Tell, tell a little bit about some of the legislative work you've done, where it's been effective, uh, what you're working on right now for the future. Sure. Um, well, I have worked to try to help get laws changed just as an individual just as not associated with the CPRC at all, but just as my own individual self and mm -hmm. victim of a violent crime. Um, in Tennessee, I helped get the law changed so that now as long as you've got your handgun carry permit and you're not drinking any alcohol, you can now carry in restaurants that serve alcohol. It's called the restaurant carry bill. And um, that was passed in 2010. And um, so now people can carry as long as you're not drinking, but the business owners are still allowed to post a no guns allowed sign if they choose to, which I'm fine with private yeah. property rights, but at least it's no longer a state law. At least establishment owners, business owners have a choice, right? which I think is important. Um, and then I also worked with the Tennessee legislators on, um, wrongful death suit judgments. I actually did not know this until it happened um, to me during the process of um, the wrongful death suit. I found out, you know, obviously I won the judgment, but then I learned that you have to go and renew the judgment in court every 10 years or it goes away like it never existed. Amazing. Like, you have to relive this nightmare and go through this all over again every 10 years to renew this. And I was like, you know, I sat down with the legislators and I said, this is crap. Why should a victim of a horrible crime, you know, they've lost their loved one. Why would anyone who wins a wrongful death suit, who wins a judgment, have to go and renew every 10 years? Otherwise, it just disappears like it never existed. And you, you know, no, it should be permanent. And so they changed it. That's good. In Tennessee. In Tennessee. Yeah, they changed it. Or do most states have this law where they have to be renewed as far as you know? Uh, I, I, I'm not sure, but that would be interesting because I don't yeah. think that victims should have to do that. Yeah. That's horrible. Yeah. You know, and, and, and again, it, go, it goes right back to this issue that I talked about earlier. Restorative justice is what we really need a whole lot more of in this country. We're all, there, there, there is a place in some areas for retributive 
retributable retributive justice where you know the the crime was committed and and you you need retribution to be able to take place but that's really in the most violent of crimes um but even in all that i'm 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 for restorative justice and the only way you can get true restorative justice is when the victim is is as much a part of the process uh, and and maybe more thought of in the process than the criminal if we can't get to that sort of place i don't think that we can reform these problems and actually i think we can reduce crime if we really have a restorative approach again i'm not saying there's no retributive uh steps that need to be taken in parts of the justice system but we don't restore and we throw all the wrong people in jail by the way too we're we're throwing people into jail for long sentences on mere drug possession of a minor amount of things and we're just making them part of that system and and it takes the focus away from getting restored for wrongs done and if we can do that everyone benefits the criminal can even benefit from that process because they would have to go through uh having to confront the crime that they committed by the way you you put someone just throw them in prison for violent crime and have no restorative process well they still hate their victim just as much as they ever did they don't have to confront the problem that they caused the most confrontation they have is sitting in prison which sometimes is a really easy thing to do and i'm not saying we need to make it horrible for prisoners per se but we need to make them have to confront the wrongs that they did beyond just sitting in a prison cell there's so much right. more to this and i don't believe that murderers those that are convicted of the felony of murder i don't think anyone that falls in that category should even be allowed early release good behavior right. credits right if you want to give early release good behavior credits to other prisoners who haven't been involved in murder right. and violent crime, fine, let them earn early release. The person that robs the bank, the person or the grocery store or something like that where, where no violence was committed. Absolutely. Yeah. Drug offenders, you know. Right. But extreme violence, murder, and you're giving yeah. these guys, and I know what it is, you know it's kind of a bargaining chip mm -hmm. to keep their security guards safe, you know. We'll, oh, yeah. We'll barter with you. If you behave in prison, then we'll let you out early. And look, I don't want prison guards to be harmed either, but yeah. you know what? I don't want to be harmed because this SOB is released early. I don't want someone else to be harmed by him. He should have to serve his full sentence. To whatever degree uh, the criminal that killed your husband is a threat to people inside the prison, but no one in that whole system anywhere thinks about, yeah, but what about Nikki Gozer? Right. Uh, that, you know what? That's another, where it falls apart. There's an alternative. You, you tell them you're going to serve your full sentence, period. You've murdered someone, so you're going to serve your full sentence, no early release. And guess what? If you don't abide by prison rules, then you'll serve longer. Right. Why not do that money? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It's all about right. money. That's right. All about money. That's exactly right. And and by the way, don't don't come out and say and there are arguments about private prisons and the money that's involved with that. And I think it's valid to ask those questions. That's great. Don't think there isn't money involved in the government-run prisons too. I mean, it's all about money. It's about job security. It's about unions. All these things, and the victims are hardly ever given consideration. And there are some some pockets of cool things that are taking place for restorative justice around the country, but it's far too limited. The normal process is the victim is never considered in any of that. And I, I think that that's horrible. And having known you as well as Meyer and I do, we know as well, just being friends, the, um, the deep hurt that you have to carry every single day with all the other challenges of life. And it just adds to it. And, and thankfully, it's mostly punctuated at times more than others. So you can have something of a normal life, but it, the threat of it is always there. It's always gonna come back and until this is completely dealt with. So you're the one that's, that's most harmed. I mean, obviously Ben was harmed, his life is gone and you can't get that back. But your life's been taken away from you in a sense as well too. 
And, and, and I don't, I, and until you started making a big stink recently about these letters that were coming to you and thankfully you've seen a greater, um, uh, some greater exposure on national and local news to talk about this situation. So you've had something of an outlet there, but you shouldn't have to put that much effort in to at least getting some restoration. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible to me that um, victims have to go through so much bureaucratic crap in order to get justice. It really bothers me a great deal, not just for myself, but for other people, because, you know, I, I was able to go on the news and get attention about what had happened, but so many victims out there, they can't do that. They don't know how to do that. They don't have the contacts to do that and they need help and they need people to take them seriously. And uh, I feel for those people, you know, they need justice as well. Well, and some of those people um, who don't have some of those outlets like you've had that, that we've talked about, I, I, even a lot of times their family members don't understand why they're still going through it or they're not sympathetic to it for some uh, you know, uh, immoral reason or whatever. And they might even be sympathetic, but just don't know how to talk through it. And they're just, they're living it all by themselves. Yeah. Um, I, uh, you talked earlier, by the way, about, which I think is appropriate, the right of certain store owners to say, yeah, no guns on premises. And I, I think that should be the case. I, Meyer and I, in our store here in Woodland Park, Colorado, have this sign. It says, guns are welcome on premises. Please keep all weapons holstered unless need arises. In such a case, judicious marksmanship is appreciated. <laughs> I love that. I love that, Jim. That's awesome. Yeah. That's, that's, we, that's what we believe in because, again, what are we addressing here? Yeah, don't, don't go flipping the gun around. That's not what we're saying. That's, and, and, you know, you and I, our right isn't just to flip a gun around and show off that we got it, you know. It's to be able to use it for protection, to be able to use it for sport, which is perfectly appropriate for hunting, for just shooting. These are all appropriate and safe. In, in almost every case, things to do. I carry concealed always, so no one sees that I have it. Right. I don't want anybody to see that I have it. Yeah, you don't. And But if that time comes, then be there. I, I just, uh, this has been a strength of our country, to be candid, not a weakness. Um, and, and our weakness has been that we allow uh, criminals who truly break gun laws to not have to pay a real cost for the crimes they commit. And we put all of that burden on legal gun owners that do nothing wrong and whose intentions are entirely pure and thoughtful. And, uh, and it, it really, it, it, it really saddens me. So to, to see how we've come to that place in this country, and I'm, I'm glad you work to try to change that before we end You've got a book called Stalked and Defenseless. You used the terminology earlier. Tell people about the book real quick and how they can get a copy of it. Stalked and Defenseless, How Gun Control Helped My Stalker Murder My Husband in Front of Me is available on Amazon. And you can also check out my website, stalkedanddefenseless.com. And uh, I, I really encourage people to go to stalkedanddefenseless.com. Support what Nikki's doing. She deserves that support. It's a fantastic book, by the way, in, in terms of really understanding what's going on with this problem. It's a real problem. Uh, you work for the Crime Prevention Research Center. Tell people a little bit more about the organization, what's going on now, and how they can get involved with that as well. You're the executive director of that organization, just yes. to remind people. We're a nonprofit organization. We look at crime rates across the nation and um, various laws that are changed and how that impacts crime. And you can check out our website at crimeresearch.org. Great. Uh, Nikki Gozer, I just want to tell you, I know Meyer and I value your friendship. We admire greatly what the sacrifice that you make as an individual to stand up for Second Amendment rights, which you believe in fully. I mean, I think you're like me. We both agree. Um, if you want my 
carry permit, here it is, and pull out a copy of your constitution. I mean, that's, that's, that's a, a challenging case to make, but you add your personal experience to that. There's so much to that. I think your bravery and focus and determination, you're a very strong woman. And uh, I think you're a good example to every woman that wants, that, that wants to see uh, women succeed. You've succeeded in so much. And uh, I'm really, really grateful for your friendship and for all the work that you're doing. Thanks for being on the podcast today. And uh, folks, again, go to stalkedanddefenseless.com and get the book and go to crimeresearch.org to get information. Thank you for joining us today on the Against Nice podcast. Please be sure to go to our website, www.politicsisntnice.com. You can sign up for our email list there just at the top right of the webpage. And make sure to follow us on iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher or even the iHeartRadio app. And give us a five-star rating and let people know what you think about our podcast. Again, www politicsisntnice.com. Join our email list at the top right hand of the page there and follow us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or iHeartRadio. Thanks for joining the show today. We'll be back soon.